Our focus text for this week comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. I invite you to follow along on your screens. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of Jesus' disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What's your relationship with prayer? For many people of faith, prayer is important. It's part of their daily life. For others, it's less important. Still for others yet, prayer is confusing. Is there a right way or a wrong way to pray? Is a scripted prayer less meaningful than extemporaneous prayer? What is the purpose of prayer anyway? And how do I know if it worked? Uh, What I want to acknowledge is that people who have faith traditions, Christians in particular, they have a wide range of experiences and beliefs when it comes to prayer. And if you want to visually see this represented in graph form, if that's the kind of person you are, a quick Google search for the Pew Research Center Religious Landscape Study will help you see just how different people are in their understanding and in their practice of prayer. So just a very, very quick example when it comes to the frequency of prayer in mainline Protestant churches. So according to this study, around 54% of people pray daily in mainline Protestant churches. 23% weekly, 7% monthly, 15% never do, and 1% have no idea. So there you go. Yeah. I know I have shared with various groups at Bethlehem how I came to have a questionable relationship with prayer when I was young. How I prayed that God would intervene in the course of my grandma's journey with cancer. And how after she died, after months of prayer, I did not have any way to think about that experience other than to come to one of three conclusions that one, God did not listen or care, 
that two, God heard but was incapable of doing anything, or three, I did something wrong. I, I didn't pray correctly. I, I wasn't asking or praying right. I, I don't know. Th there is still a fairly strong belief that prayer functions like a vending machine or a transaction. You have to put in the ask, and if you have enough faith, and if your prayer is sincere, and if, well, I don't know, other conditions are met according to your understanding of God, well, then God will bless you by agreeing to your request. Yeah, I, I don't think this anymore, but it's easy to get stuck there. And I know a lot of people do get stuck there. Personally, I think prayer reveals a lot about the person praying. Prayers reveal your assumptions about God, what is important in life, what's on your mind. So one day, Jesus' disciples are curious and ask their teacher, their rabbi, so how do we pray? <laughs> what is the right way? What is the point? What is interesting is that Jesus does not say to their question, oh, it doesn't matter, just do whatever. Likewise, Jesus does not say, oh, there's no point in prayer, don't waste your time. On the contrary, pray, Jesus says, but when you pray, keep these things in mind. Jesus goes on to explain what we call the Lord's Prayer. The version that we pray is pieced together from the Gospel writers of Matthew and Luke. And when they are combined, we get a radical picture of God and God's dream for the world. But is that what you hear when you pray this prayer? Many of us who, retend, who attend religious services have memorized one version of this prayer or another. So, so let me show you what I mean. Um, I can do this in one breath in the version that I learned when I was a kid. Here we go. I'm going to try this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Boom! <laughs> Just like that. I mean, you may have memorized this prayer too, but do you know this prayer? When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, his prayer turns their world upside down as he helps them to imagine what can be. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. For most of human existence, we have organized ourselves into tribes. And when our tribes got big enough, we organized into kingdoms. These were not democratically run systems. At the head of a kingdom was a monarch or emperor who had complete authority and the power to back that authority with an army. There are no guidelines dictating how a ruler with high authority should rule. In the Greco-Roman world, monarchs and emperors were well known, well known for exercising authority with brutal power and force. Though, I guess there were exceptions. These people had the most power and their weapons to enforce their authority were superior to all others. 
In short, their power was unsurpassable, both in the sense that no superior human power was conceivable and in the sense that no superior power existed within the monarch or emperor's realm. We are talking about absolute, unequivocal power. The point is that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray for God's kingdom to come, that conveyed the exercise of power. It's God's kingdom. But here's the twist, and it's a pretty big twist. For Jesus, the model of God's power in God's kingdom was not a monarch or emperor who used violence and force to subjugate people, but the head of a family. Father, in Aramaic, Abba, dad. Not an abusive dad, or a deadbeat dad, or an alcoholic dad, but an informal, familial word that describes a person a parent who cares and loves for his and loves his kids. This is how Jesus teaches his disciples to approach God, and it's this description of God, a God who loves creation, that Jesus prays will bring God's kingdom to earth. <laughs> I don't know why I've always missed this part before. Uh, growing up, I heard over and over from my Sunday school teachers that the point of the Christian faith was that you got to leave this world behind and go be with God. And I still hear this all the time. There is a whole segment of Christianity that pretty much thinks the earth is inconsequential and have hope that God will help them leave this place behind. Jesus' prayer though, Jesus' prayer is a prayer for the transformation of the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's, it's a prayer for the way the world would be if God were in charge and, and that reality would come to pass as it was in heaven. Oh my gosh, what would that look like? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Living in a time and culture that not only values, but I would say actually worships the individual, the personal choice, the sacredness of the self, the plural pronoun Jesus uses throughout this prayer, like our Father, our daily bread, forgive us our sins. Boy, that's, I mean, that's catching. <laughs> Jesus teaches us to pray as part of a community. I am used to people saying something like this, I'm hungry, I'm cold, I'm thirsty, please give me some food, give me a roof, give me something to drink. I have needs, I have concerns, I, I am used to prayers that are individualistic. Give my grandma healing, give me patience, help my child to find a spouse for God's sake. <laughs> but, but in God's kingdom, if there is one person who is hungry, if there is one person who is suffering, if there is one person in need, that is too many. In God's kingdom, you cannot find yourself isolated or alone. Can you imagine the kind of transformation that would have in our world if we began to think about everything as a community? Give us food that we need. Give us 
the things that, that make for a good life. That would be incredible. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. This prayer is both about God and those who pray it. One of my seminary professors said that if God does not keep God's name holy, no human action can make it so. It is God's kingdom, it is God's power, it is God's glory, and yet, at the same time, people will hallow God's name and devote their lives to God if they believe God is holy and experience God's holiness. In the same way, only God can make God's kingdom exist and God's will be done in heaven, but if God's kingdom is to exist and God's will is to be done on earth, well, human action is required. The same is true of the provision of, of the provisioning of, of sustenance for all living things. God's call to creatures comes first, but creatures must respond with action appropriate to the production and distribution of whatever is needed to sustain life. <laughs> Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for the transformation of the earth through the coming of God's kingdom in which they and everyone who prays this prayer participates in bringing to reality. It is a prayer that ties you to your neighbor and to your neighbor's needs. Those who live in your community and look like you as well as those who don't. Yes, that's your neighbor, it's everyone. Do you know this prayer? Not have you memorized it, but do you know it? Do you bring its meaning into your family, into your place of work, into the gym, into the grocery store, into your car? Do, I, I'm not talking about do you pray this prayer publicly in these places, but do you allow the dream of God's kingdom? the transformation of the earth through caring for your neighbor's needs and forgiveness to shape your disposition in life so that it impacts what you do, how you see yourself, others, and the world. So today, may you come to experience the good news that Jesus gives us as he teaches us what it means to pray. Thanks be to God for this lesson. Amen. After hearing our focus reading today and the reflection on that reading, here are a couple of reflection questions that you can discuss with your family, that you can journal about, or think about individually to help you develop a deeper, more robust faith and take this story and apply it to your own stories. Question number one, what is your relationship with prayer? Do you pray? How often? What is the purpose of prayer? What, what do you think about these things? Reflect on that. And question number two is this, what is it about the prayer Jesus taught his disciples that is most surprising or shocking to you? Yeah, after we've reflected on that, do you hear anything that catches you now?